with me. Turn with me, uh, Proverbs chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. Proverbs 11, we'll pick up. We finished the 10th chapter last week. How far we'll get in 11? I don't know. We'll see. So we'll just go see how far we get um, under the uh, title. We can get up to verse 15, but we'll see. I don't know that we'll get that far, but Starting, uh, I'll just read the first few verses, Proverbs 11, starting in verse 1. I'll just read verses 1 through 5, and we'll uh, just pick up from there. Starting in verse 1, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, uh, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Let me read verse 6 as well. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their own lust. We have here 13 times... Uh, and I didn't read the rest of the chapter, but if you read through the rest of the, the verses, and there are 31 verses in, in chapter 11, uh, we have 13 times in chapter 11 where the word righteous or righteousness is mentioned. Now, in the 10th chapter, it's actually mentioned one more time, 14 times in the 10th chapter, 13 times here in the 11th chapter. And so I wanted to take the time to highlight that a little bit. Uh, righteousness is not a word. Now, you think about the word righteousness. Righteousness is not a word that's used much in our society today. Um, the word has depth. It has a weight to it. And I believe people uh, feel the weight and the depth of the word righteousness, even if they know very little of its meaning. Does that make sense? Is that, you don't hear people walking around talking about righteousness at your office, righteousness in the neighborhood. They would even, in their mind, they would think, well, that's a term that was used in the 1700s or 1800s, righteousness. Holiness is not a word you hear a lot either because it also has a lot of weight, a lot of depth to it. Now, the word righteous or righteousness, it's, it's unsettling if you're attached to this world. It's unsettling to hear that word. If you're attached to this world and you're attached to the values of this world, then righteousness, when that word is used, it's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. I believe the conscience of mankind recognizes the heavenly origin of righteousness, even if they can't put a finger on why there's an aversion to it. Does that make sense as well? That people kind of, things that come from God, people kind of know. The book of Romans talks about the conscience bearing witness. Interestingly enough, many people are very comfortable with the word righteous if the word is devalued or used in a derogatory manner. A couple of surfer dudes, righteous. How can they say, how can it just slide off the tongue in that way? Because they've by inference, they've devalued the word. That's righteous, dude, right? That was popular at some point in time. Um, righteousness, 
or right. You, you also, in a derogatory manner, you might hear people say something along the lines of, you self-righteous Christians. Right? Now, there, again, it flows in a derogatory manner to the world or in a devalued manner. Um, so in a, in a mocking term and things like that, you'll, you might hear it used, but you don't hear it used a lot in any other description. Now Jesus said, we've, we've highlighted this verse a few times in 2017. I've, I know I've mentioned it probably three or four times, but uh, it bears mentioning a lot because he said it, it's first, first or foremost. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to seek his righteousness, not just the kingdom of God, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. So Jesus said, not only are you seeking the kingdom of God, but the righteousness of God. So we don't avoid the word, we run to the word. In Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now you think of the world, everything, I, you and I like a good meal as much as anybody. We're having a fiesta Sunday, right? Uh, uh, we talked about in Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 47, the early church would gather and have meals together. We, we understand that all people, God created food, that we all like food. It's even going to be a centerpiece of heaven. There's going to be the marriage supper of the land. We're going to get together. But there is a difference uh, we enjoy those things, we don't live for them, right? That's how we can, we can set aside time for fasting. We can say, no, it's more important that I pray right now or something along those lines. And not just for health reasons. We're doing it because we're trying to break, break spiritual bonds. But Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, he also, by saying that, is the, the, the joy and peace and, and righteousness uh, those things don't come through the things that we can enjoy with a, you know, the senses, the pleasurable senses of their taste buds or uh, things that are you know, enjoyable to the ears and things like that. Righteousness and peace are not dependent on circumstances or temporal things. They're dependent on our relationship with God. Does that make sense? Joy and peace, you could have everything the world could give you, possibly the best meals, uh, you could have your own personal chef, you could have all the toys and trinkets that anyone, and it still can't buy you peace. That is dependent on our relationship with God. So Jesus said, no, you can, you can have the best meals, you can have the best clothing, you can have the best job, you can have it all, but joy and peace and righteousness, well, they come through the Holy Spirit. There's not another place. I'll never forget, you know, um, what I'm, you, you guys know, Sam's, Sam Nadler's a mentor of mine. I'll never forget the first time I heard him preach, he talked about, you know, Jesus, one of his titles is Prince of Peace, right? The book of Isaiah. And he said the best way to understand that is, is Jesus holds the water spigot. He turns peace on, and he can turn peace off. He has the hand, you know, of course, he has the keys to death and hell and, and life. So he is the one that controls the supply of peace in our life. He's the prince of it. He owns it. Uh, but you can't get it through the things of this world. That's what Jesus was telling the disciples is uh, righteousness and peace. I want you to have it. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God, and I want you to walk in righteousness. 
Now, looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament rendering of the word righteous, uh, we have a perspective when we look at both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you kind of get the full view. Uh, the Hebrew word's different than the Greek word. Uh, but again, the same connotation of this word righteous and a full perspective of it from New and Old Testament together uh, is that God is 100% just. We'd all agree with that, right? God is 100% just, but he's also 100% right. He's 100% just, and he's 100% right. But for us to be called righteous, that is actually God's right stand, God being right, and God's being just, is applied to us through the blood of Jesus, which comes through repentance, believing on him for salvation. And at that point, we are made just or justified, right? We are made at that point justified or made right. In other words, we are made right with God. Righteous. We have been justified or made right with God. And you know, that you'll, old-time preachers, you say, you need to get right with God. Remember that term? It's still okay to say because it still means that. People still do need to get right with God. Now, you just don't, that's it, I'm going to get right with God. It's, I'm going to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, which puts me in right standing with God, and the, just, the justness of God and the, right, uh, or the righteousness of God is then applied to us, and we've been made right with him who is 100% right. hope that makes sense. Then we have to walk in this newly supplied righteousness by faith and via the help of the Holy Spirit. So we're given robes of righteousness. Now, in heaven, they won't even just be right now. We're wearing robes of righteousness that we can't see, that God can see. We're actually sealed until the day of redemption. But in heaven, we'll actually get real white robes, and they signify the righteousness that's been placed upon us. Notice that we won't buy them. We don't go and shop for them in heaven. They are placed upon us in the same way grace is placed upon us, the same way right standing or justification is placed upon us through faith in Christ. But we now have to walk. We have to willingly walk in righteousness, in this new faith, by the help of the Holy Spirit. And we have to walk in it willingly because our flesh still likes those things that kept us from being in right standing with God. Before salvation, we weren't in right standing with God. We were in wrong standing. We were in what the Bible calls, we were already condemned. We were in a guilty status. Now we are in a forgiven status. We had a debt we couldn't pay, and he paid for us. So now we're in right standing, but we still have to deny the flesh, which still wants to do the very things that kept us out of right standing with the Lord. Now, the unrighteous, those that are still unsaved, they're not in right standing with God, they've not yet been redeemed, well, they still walk in their own ways. They still walk in their own ways. And this is Proverbs 11 bears this out uh, numerous times in different ways, just highlighting the different ways that those that are unsaved still walk in their own ways. So they're not justified, and they're not in right standing with God, just as we once were in the same boat. So even when a good deed is done... And lots of people that are not in right standing with God do some good things. Wouldn't we all agree with that? I've seen lots of unsaved people do nice things. I've been the beneficiary of unsaved people doing nice things for me, but good deeds 
don't change our standing. We're still in wrong standing with God. If you're arrested for armed robbery, but earlier that day you helped someone across the street, it has no, impar- no impact on your status before the court. You can't raise your hand and say, you know, you don't realize how many good things I did this week. They, they should offset. This is a carbon credit, right? Or something like that, you know, if you watch the news. And, but it doesn't work that way. Your standing would still be guilty. But if one is truly saved, they're not only covered by righteousness, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, they now, which they couldn't do before, and I certainly couldn't do before salvation, they now love righteousness. Love righteousness. They love the right things of God. They love God's definition of what is right, of his definition of honesty, of his definition of marriage, of his definition of what is holy, of what is pure, of what is kind, of what is actually loving. Our spirit loves those things. We now love righteousness because by the work of the Holy Spirit, the character of God has been born in us. It's placed in us, in, in not the exact same way, but in the same way, our spirit, you know how Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, Mary conceived, right? The Holy Spirit did the work. Well, in the same way, the character of God is born in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And now we love righteousness, even though our flesh is still fighting against our new love for righteousness. And now, for those who have been born again, you have a desire to pursue and live by the righteousness of God because you believe that his ways really are right, they really are true, and they really will never fail. And so you not only love, you have an attachment for that, but you now say, Lord, not only do I love righteousness, I believe that this is beneficial to me and anyone I come in contact with in my life. So let's look at some of these verses, starting in verse 1. You thought that was it, right? Verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination, Lord, but just weight is his delight. So again, all these verses are a contrast between how the person that's now walking in righteousness is living versus how someone who's still in that wrong standing with God, still has yet to submit to God, still has yet to repent uh, and come to Christ, you know, what what the kind of normal kind of pattern of, of that life looks like. Now, Sooner or later, uh, I should say, start in verse 1 here. Sorry. Uh, this is one of the this dishonest scales that he starts off with. Dishonest scales is one of the natural tendencies uh, of the sin nature. We all have a natural tendency to dishonest scales. And how does that work? You've all seen Lady Justice, you know, the, the blindfold and the eyes holding the scales, right? It's supposed to be not seen, you know, at, at what, uh, whatever you're weighing, you should be completely objective not favoring one side or the other. But the flesh usually wants to uh, tip the scales in the direction which favors ourself. Wouldn't you agree? That the flesh wants to tip the scales in in ways that um, would favor us. And this can be based on greed, can be self-interest, it can be pride, it can be the fear of what people will think. You know, you look at like uh, peer pressure in the schools. I mean, kids that will 
uh, mock and hate some other kid just because, well, I don't want to be ostracized myself, so I will tip the scales against them. But that's the way human nature is. Our, our nature is pretty rotten. It's always looking out for self. Or it can just be bias or preference. Right? I like the way certain people look, and if I don't like the way they look, I don't really care for them at all. They don't get the time of day. This is not how Jesus operated, was it? If you had leprosy, he'd come towards you. If you were Zacchaeus and short and a tax collector and everybody else hated you, he still, he still would come to your house. Right? If you were a prostitute, he would still talk to you. He didn't tip the scales again. You know, the, the Pharisees were always tipping the scales in the favor of themselves, enriching themselves, in fact, on manipulating that they had power and other people didn't. And dishonest scales is not just something that uh, is a problem. It says here it's an abomination. God hates it with a righteous anger. He hates when people are purposely unfair to other people, purposely mistreat other people, purposely uh, have a bias. Even, even in the New Testament they had to deal with this where, you know, they were giving preferential treatment to who got the best seats in the church. These are wide open, by the way, right up here. They don't have any names on it, no don donated by so-and-so. You're welcome to sit anywhere you like. And if you have a pet seat and someone sits in it, be gracious. Next Wednesday, these won't be here because we're going to have a staff meeting. These are going to be blocked off. So you folks that love this spot, you're going to love this spot and this spot. Just for one Wednesday, and you get to go back to your favorite spots. But dishonest scales God hates. But just waits uh, that we don't show preferential treatment. That we don't say, well, if they have money, I'll hook them up. If they have position, I'll hook, I'll hook them up. If they have some level of something that, they, that, that I can take advantage of, then I'll give them my time. Dishonest scales, God hates it. Look at verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Now, eventually, pride does bring shame. Pride eventually will bring pain. It eventually will bring remorse. It eventually brings broken pieces to lives. I mean, pride has caused wars and all types of calamities, uh, socially speaking, uh, throughout history. And so the person that's walking in pride and arrogance, eventually this, this will come to pass. There will be, there will be shame uh, at the end of the road at some point. In the last couple of years, I remember I was watching an ESPN documentary on athletes that formerly made millions that today are broke. And they're not just broke. They're sad. They're depressed. Some of them are addicted to things that just kind of help them kind of put all those things out of their mind. But they're shells of their former selves, and they, they made millions. They were in the limelight. I mean, they had multiplied millions, some of them just not just you know, short contracts, but years in professional sports, making a lot of money. But pride, pride can cause spending in a lifestyle that not only doesn't want and need doesn't want or need God, but is so self-focused and so ego-driven that the drug of being the center of attention, right? 
That's what pride is, right? It's that, that drug of being the center of attention. Uh, you know, for these athletes, not to pick on them, but throwing lavish parties. Living off other people's compliments. Because you get complimented a lot when, when people think, you're so athletic. You're, you're the best. You're the GOAT. That's greatest of all time for those of you that you know, don't text and stuff like that. But the, the, you've got the VIP rooms. The pats on the back. Right? But all that distorts reality. And many of these former high-paid athletes, they trusted the wrong people. Many of them were swindled by people that, that, that they thought they could trust, and they put money in their hands, and they mismanaged it or outright stole it. It wasn't just the, the lifestyle, but all these other things. But pride, it gives a false sense of security and invincibility, and so you're not thinking correctly. What you think is reality isn't. You've all seen the stories on the cover of magazines, people that were once worshipped in the 70s, 80s, 90s, are later barely holding it together. You see interviews and you're like, is that really that person? You're watching some interview and you're like, I can't believe what they've become. They're barely holding it together. They'll even say that I have no friends anymore. They are failing in health, mentally and physically, a lot of times. When we lived in Miami uh, in our college years, uh, we spent seven years there, um, both in college and post-college, but uh, in the time I was there, I met, I met a lot of very wealthy and powerful people. Um, I really did in, in, in different settings. Uh, I met a good number of athletes, really had conversations, and you know, sometimes when I was uh, in certain settings, got to have pretty decent conversations with people that were pretty famous <coughs> athletes and um, met a lot of people in the modeling and fashion industry and people in the entertainment industry and people in the TV and news business, just to name a few. And one of the things that was observable then and still observable now, still the case, and, and I saw it even when I went in, uh, later in the business world, uh, if you were on top, everyone loves you. When you're on top, you're the darling of all kinds of conversations, the bar scene, the boardroom, doesn't matter what it is. If you're on top, everyone's there. And that feeds the ego, doesn't it? Feeds the ego a lot. But um, you know, you'll have all the, uh, you'll, you'll get all the love from people. You'll have tons of friends, right? Tons of respect. People want respect. You get a lot of respect when you're on top. You got a lot of respect when you're, when you're viewed as highly successful. You get a lot of adoration, right? But um, if you lose your athletic ability, if your looks start to age and you're in the modeling industry, if you make a public mistake in a certain industry or you're a key public figure and you make a big mistake, you're, you, you do a bad business deal, and then, like the prodigal son, you quickly find out who your friends really are. And those people feel ashamed that I used to have respect, now everyone mocks. I used to have respect, now I'm getting laughed at on Twitter. Good night, back when I was down there, you didn't have Twitter and Facebook and all. It's worse now. You make a misstep and everyone catches it on camera, right? Can't even make a move. 
But um, you'll find out who your friends are. And the prodigals, you know, prodigal, Jesus told that parable of that. You know, his prideful life, it was great while he had it all, but then when he had run out, it was shame. He was too ashamed to even go back to his own household. John refers to the lifestyle of the world, we would say the modus operandi, uh, as the pride of life. That is, according to the Apostle John, that is the way of the world. It's called the pride of life. In other words, the whole world that's unsaved, a certain amount of their life is driven by pride. Now, even us that are saved, we've got to be careful because even after salvation, we can be driven by pride still. It's an insidious thing. It's been well said that when every other sin is conquered in your life, you'll still have pride to deal with the rest of your life. Satan is full of pride, and he's the father of it, and yet he masters it, doesn't he? He masters pride in the lives of people. He uses pride to chew people up and spit them out. He really does. He makes mincemeat of people's lives, and their pride he uses against them. Or the, or the whole while, they think that they have the world by the string. It's not the case. It's the other way around. Pride ruins marriages, doesn't it? Pride. Oh, I deserve someone better than this. You may want to look in the mirror, both y'all. You know, if you're thinking that, you know, one side gets real prideful. Pride ruins marriages. But then there's all the, the shame falls on the innocent children a lot of times, doesn't it? Pride can destroy a company. Pride can destroy a business or a company. Um, but the employees are the one blindsided by that. There's shame for them. All lost our jobs and things of that nature. Innocent people bear shame because of the pride of others. But there is an alternative. Look at uh, the latter half, verse 2, but with the humble is wisdom. There's the alternative of humility. This is, uh, now first when we think about humility, humility starts in submitting to God, which makes us humble in the other aspects of life. If we don't first submit to God, we won't be humble anywhere else. If you see someone who's very prideful, you can guarantee they haven't yet submitted to God. Because humbling before God then puts all the other areas where humility is necessary into perspective. When uh, One of the things that um, that you know, we most look for uh, in people, whether it's ministry leadership, and I, you know, I've, if I li- the years I've listened to, whether it's Pastor Joe Foch of Philadelphia or uh, Damian Kyle and Modesto and Pastor Chuck Smith, when you're looking for leaders, you look for people that first and foremost are not talented but humble. Talent can be trained and acquired. Humility, that comes from God. But Anyone can be humble, it's just are they surrendered to the Lord or not? Because once you have a humble person, the sky is the limit for them in the hands of God. The opposite is true with someone prideful. They can destroy almost anything they come in contact with. But this alternative of being humility, uh, of being humble, I should say, with the humble is wisdom. Humility and submitting to God, it does make us humble in our approach to life, but not timid, not without confidence. You can be humble, and you have confidence. You just have a humility before God and a confidence in Him, 
not a confidence in our own selves. And you then have a trust in God. And if you trust in God, then you're like David. You're like, why are we running from this giant? David was not prideful. He was like, I have no shot against Goliath, but y'all are underselling God here. Goliath is a speck to God. So his confidence was not in himself, but his confidence was in the Lord. So we will still have confidence. Matter of fact, we'll have more, but it will not be in ourselves. And we'll still have a humble approach. With, uh, with the humble there is wisdom. And this wisdom is throughout our life. We, we think long-term once we have wisdom. You know, foolishness is got to have it right now. Uh, instant gratification. This costs people dearly in life, right? Instant gratification in many different ways. We, we could look at a lot of ways that that would happen. But uh, wisdom, once we're humble and God starts to impart wisdom in our life, we have a long-term approach. Uh, in fact, our long-term approach is so long-term, it's eternal. We really do think, in, is what I'm doing laying up treasure in heaven? That's how long-term our approach is. And it outweighs the temporary things because temporary things feed our pride. Temporary. You can either get the praise of man today or long-term you can hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a long-term approach. But you have to be humble your whole life. will say, but no one will ever think it, know how great I am. John the Baptist no one ever knew how great he was, but Jesus said after he died, no, man, no greater man was ever born a woman. Died less than probably less than 33 years of age. The eternal things outweigh these things. You know, uh, by looking wisdom, you can avoid diseases, addictions, right? All kinds of problems by looking at things through God's lens instead of our own temporary and prideful na nature that we're born with. William James said, the art, of being, the, uh, the art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. Once you're saved, you start to overlook and say, that, no, no, I pass right by that. That might give some gratification. That might seem like a short-term benefit, but God's wisdom says no. We pursue the better things, the more excellent things, the things that don't cause shame and the things that don't cause pain. And the wisdom that God imparts to a humble spirit, once that humble spirit begins to form in us, we begin to make better decisions. Humble people make better decisions because it's not based on flesh. Uh, we'll actually know, unlike uh, these, these poor athletes, and many of them, you know, I hope they all come to know the Lord, but we'll actually have wisdom to know who to trust with things. There's a lot, once you have wisdom, there's a lot of people you would not give the, give the keys to your house to, right? And you don't need a lot of wisdom for that. But that's just a good illustration that we all know, okay, all right, yeah, that makes sense. There, I don't trust everybody with everything. But there's people that I would absolutely give my house key to, not even blink an eye. Car keys, whatever, because, because wisdom, I know they can be trusted We'll know what to value. We'll know what to invest in life. What's important to invest in life? You know, your kids' souls are a lot more important than climbing the ladder. 
And, and when you get to the top of the ladder, if you can't see your kids anymore, there's a real problem, right, in the American society. Let's look at the next, uh, next verse, verse um, 3. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Integrity of the upright will guide them. There's a number of different words I'll, I'll, you might want to highlight as you go through um, these different words that kind of are all synonymous with the life of someone who is now in righteousness. This word used here is upright. And again, upright that um, we would have the, the right vertical relationship with God. Interestingly, people that are upright spend a lot of time face down in prayer. Not, not necessarily literally if you can't get on your knees anymore, that, that's okay. But you have a posture of prayer in your life. And that posture of being on our face before the Lord is actually what makes us upright in our walk. God does a purifying work daily uh, all throughout our life. But the upright, uh, the integrity of the upright will guide them. Guided by what? Well, they're guided by integrity. Not, uh, not uh, what the world may be guided by. The per- it says the perversity of the unfaithful. So you have upright versus unfaithful here. A contrast. The unfaithful, their perversity will destroy them. Uh, much of the world is, uh, is guided by what's in it for me. That's, how, that's their guiding motivation. What's in it for me? Uh, versus now our walk is what will please God and help others? What will please God and help others? That's what we're guided by. That's a life of integrity. What will please God and help others? What guided the Good Samaritan? Yeah, we had some, we had some uh, real uh, close-to-God priests that walked on the other side. But this Samaritan comes along, and he sees a man down, beaten, bleeding, and he stops. He had val- his time was valuable, too. Apparently valuable enough that he had earned enough money, he put the guy up in the hotel, pay the bills, get him, uh, get him taken care of. But he was guided by the integrity of his walk was that he saw that God was watching him. It didn't matter if anyone else was there to see it. And you're in my life. Integrity is when you are guided by God is watching what we're doing. You say, well, this matters to God, so it better matter to me. This is the way God would do it, so this is the way I need to do it. That's what integrity is. There's no one else around, and we're guided by, we want to maintain that good relationship, that upright relationship with the Lord. Um, The world's perverse thinking, if it feels good to you, it must be okay. And as long as no one else is going to get hurt, it's just fine. But it doesn't work that way, does it? When people's character arose on the inside, other people always get hurt in the process. Here's the next verse. Uh, verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Now we know this is absolutely true. We talked about this uh, last week that you know, Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You, you can't get to heaven and say, you know, I was worth $40 billion. That's got to at least get me some decent spot up here, Right? You know that, you know, 
gold is the pavement in heaven. It just, just doesn't, doesn't go real far. God owns it all. Riches don't help at all. You can, do, you can acquire a lot in this world, but at the day of judgment, everyone stands before God naked. There is no, uh, well, the great white throne. You and I, we will not have to stand before God naked because we'll be clothed in white as robes. We go to the judgment seat of Christ, which is a totally different place. But if you stand before the great white throne judgment, there are no robes. Everything is laid bare. And no bank account will be with you. No, well, I was on the cover of People. That's got to count for something, right? I was Times Man of the Year. None of those things will matter. God's not impressed by any of that. Uh, he doesn't have... He doesn't have bad scales. Everyone is equal to him. He has no, there's no favoritism with God. It just comes down to have you place your trust in my son or not. That's, that's available to everybody. But riches won't profit then. But, the righteousness, but righteousness delivers from death. Uh, not because we did a bunch of righteous stuff. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God. But righteousness is that because we have been saved, God put that desire in our life to stay and finish the course. And we will uh, stand before the Lord and it's not going to be our bank account. It's not going to be even all the great stuff we did. It's just going to be, Jesus said, you remained in me. You abided in me. You stayed in me. And because you stayed in me, you did do a lot of righteous things. Even in, even in our flaws, we'll, we'll have done a lot more righteous things in him than we'll ever do outside of him. Next verse, verse 5. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his uh, way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness... I'm sorry, that's the end of verse 5. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Um, the righteousness... Of, in another word you can underline here is the blameless. Um, it's Again, it's not blameless because we've never done anything that deserves blame. All of us could be rightly blamed for something this week. could be as big as you were supposed to pick that up. I know. I forgot, right? Anyone else ever had that this week? You were supposed to call so-and-so. Oh, yeah. Right? The, the list of things that we miss, we could be blamed for. But those aren't really the things that, you know, uh, those just are um, imperfections. They're not necessarily sins. But then there's the things that really are sins that we could be blamed for. The wrong attitude, the wrong thought, the wrong words that we said. Well, those things, God could blame us. But because we're covered by the righteousness of Jesus, we, we see Jesus' blame, God sees Jesus' blamelessness. His perfection. He's the perfect spotless lamb. If we, who are also called sheep, are put there, it's not spotless. It's pretty dirty and doesn't smell real good either. But the blamelessness uh, is, is the Lord. And because we have uh, the, the Spirit in us, the Spirit directs our ways and keeps directing us to right things. Uh, I've read, I was in my other Bible, uh, the first Bible I got, Actually, I was given a Bible uh, on our wedding day, and I really didn't read it for the first year. We got saved a year after we got married. So for the first year, it sat in a pristine condition. I think it was still in the same box. But then I got saved, and that 
things start to get opened and I started reading. I was, I was reading through that one today. Sometimes I'll go back to my old Bible and I was looking at dates of 1997 in there, 1999. I'm trying to think, where was I in 99? Where was I in 97? Uh, but the same spirit that directed me to get into it in 97 is still directing me to get back into it in 2017. Because God says, you haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg in my wisdom. You're going to need more direction in the years to come than you did in 1997. If you think this world is hard to navigate now, Jesus said, wait till it gets closer to the final pressures. And you'll need his direction. I'll need his direction. But it'll direct our way aright in a world that's crooked and perverse, according to Paul in the book of Philippians. But the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. His own, in other words, the very things that they think will sustain them are the very things that will have them in bondage. The very things that they thought would bring peace will only bring misery. Now, we don't look at this and say, well, that serves them right. We look at this and say, Lord, how do we how are we used by you to bring the same cup of cool water of salvation that you got? brought us to them. Pray for those that are still in darkness. Look at verse 6. The righteous, the righteousness of the upright uh, will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. Now this is another um, thing that John speaks of. Uh, not only the pride of life, but the lust of the world. The lust of the world. Now we, we generally, most people, when they think of lust, they think of... Um, yeah, of the sexual nature, but there's many other kinds of lust. But back to the first half of this for a second, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them. Uh, we constantly are delivered by the Lord because even when we're not aware of it, the Holy Spirit is pulling us into that path of walking with the Lord. I mean, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we would have all gone off the rails by now. You realize that, right? It's not that we are just, man, we nailed it. We're really good at this. No. The Holy Spirit continues to, but we do have to yield to the Spirit. And those that are Christ have the Spirit, according to the book of Romans. So if someone hath not the Spirit, they can't yield to the Spirit. And therefore, they don't hear the Spirit. I, I get concerned when I talk to people that say that they're born again, but they say, well, I, I don't have any inclination whatsoever to do right. What? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. That's not something you conjure up. That's something the Holy Spirit does in us. But that only comes through genuine repentance. You can't fake that. I, love Joe, I was listening to Joe Foch the other day, and he said, you can't fake genuine. It either, after a while, you've been saved a long time, you meet people, you, you, know, you know they're not perfect, but you can sense the genuine because the Holy Spirit, you just sense it. You bond in that way. But the righteousness of the upright will deliver them because the Holy Spirit is constantly delivering us from our own faulty thinking from our own miscalculations, from our own prejudices, from our own you know, uh, things that would attract you or lead you to kind of... It's something as dumb as waste time to things that can be really, really destructive. 
right? And all points in between. The Holy Spirit is constantly, even when we can't sense it, the Holy Spirit is constantly guiding us back. And it's the Spirit that says, you need to, you need to open scriptures. I was telling someone the other day, you know, one of the things, you know, George Mueller, incredible faith, if you get a chance to read about his life, you know, born in Germany, uh, thought he was going to be called as a missionary to the Jewish people, learned Hebrew, went on to learn, I can't remember, it was five or six languages, spoke them fluently, um, you know, started an orphanage there with no money in England, over 6,000 kids eventually. Uh, but as much as God did in his life, he was... He was trained by the Holy Spirit to kind of teach him to constantly hear more of the Lord, to be more tuned to the Lord. And one of the things he would do, he'd have a Bible. He also pastored a church in addition to all the other stuff. Um, he was co-pastor. And he'd have a Bible sitting at his desk. So if he was doing bookkeeping or studying or uh, you know, uh, planning, whatever it was, uh, almost every you know, hour, somewhere on the hour, didn't have to be on the hour, but somewhere within an hour, he would just glance over his Bible, open it up somewhere, read a couple of verses, and go back to what he was doing. And, and the reason he did that is he always wanted the wisdom of God directing his thought life. Constantly. He would just kind of work for an hour. Oh, real quick. Just kind of... You ever do that? Just kind of open up anywhere? He would do that. But... He would do it. Now, this would add up in a lifetime into thousands of times. And all of that time that we would be getting some nonsense from the radio or, you know, uh, our smartphones or everything else, we could be directed by God again and again and again. And so then, when we're not in front of a Bible, we're more tuned to the voice of Jesus. But the unfaithful will be caught by their own lust. Um, the lust of the flesh has its own voice, doesn't it? It's always wanting things that either take us away from God or completely opposed to God. That makes sense? It's not always. It, the lust, Satan's a pretty smart dude. He doesn't only try and get people to do the, the things that are obvious sins. One of his best is just to keep people preoccupied. Just to keep the church preoccupied. Doing absolutely nothing of any impact whatsoever. We could be a church and have no impact ever. But we get together, right? So the lust of the flesh, if he says, you know, just, just, just take care of yourself, look after number one. Don't do all that sin stuff you used to do when you're in your 20s or 30s or whatever else, but just, you know, just kick back as best you can. Live for yourself. That's the, the lust of the flesh still. It's just, whereas you look at a guy like George Mueller, and he was, he was determined to put the flesh to death because the flesh is there with all of us. We've got to stop there. So.